Welcome to the Brown County Hour Halloween Special. This is Dave Seastrip. And Jim Lemon, along with the rest of the crew. We have a collection of spooky stories to share with you in this podcast. Some are from previous episodes of our show, and some are brand new. And all of them come from the hills and hollers of Brown County. The show starts with paranormal investigator Matthew Jackson returning to talk about his work at the Crump Theater. We debut a new radio theater piece called It's About Time, and Kara Barnard shares a true story of a haunting on Owl Creek Road. Next is a song from Chris Wolfe, The Ballad of Belgunis, and paranormal researcher Chris McDaniel joins us to talk about ghosts at Step Cemetery, as well as his experiences tracking Bigfoot. The second half of the show features Hondo Thompson's story of Blackwater Hattie, and Frank Jones offers his song, Frankenstein Pockets, along with his telling of the classic story, Taley Poe. We close out the show with Matthew Jackson telling about the skeleton in his closet. This is Chuck Wills with the Brown County Hour, and we are with paranormal researcher and investigator Matthew Jackson. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, thank you for having me on again. Yeah, uh, this is probably, what, the fourth or fifth time we've we've had you on? I think so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about all sorts of things in the past, but uh, you've got a really interesting project now that has recently gone up on your website that's all about the Crump Theater. Absolutely. It's a, it's a project I've been working on for over a year. And as a matter of fact, probably over 10 years ago, I, I tried to solicit to the city of Columbus that allowing paranormal investigations in the Crump Theater is a viable stream of revenue to help preserve historical structures. So uh, for the past year, working with the current project manager at the Crump, uh, we finally have got it up off the ground and, and moving. Really? So so they're actually looking at that as a revenue stream to do paranormal tours? Absolutely. And and all money proceeds are going to go to the Crump. And there, I mean, from coast to coast, there are so many buildings that have been saved solely by allowing weirdos like me who are interested in high strangeness to allow to come in. And, and guess what? It doesn't even run up your light bill because they want the lights off and right. allow them to pay to come into these buildings and explore. Wow. Well, that's that's really pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm really uh, uh, looking forward to see what the community is able to contribute to the restoration of the building. Excellent. So uh, can you guess when we would uh, be able to go over there and take a paranormal tour? Well, we just had our first event this past weekend, which was October 14th, and we called it Tales from the Crump. And nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So it's kind of the kickoff during the, uh, you know, the Halloween season. Right. But g moving forward, the Crump is going to offer tours just as like dates and so forth open up because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people trying to get in there. They're excited. Everybody has all these fundraising ideas. So as the opportunities trickle through, we'll be posting about them. Very exciting. Yeah. Will that be on your website? It will be on my website and also all over the Crump social media. They, they're posting everything. So Okay, very good. So we'll check out Crump social media and also your website, which is paraholics.com. Absolutely. And Fantastic. check out the post, The Ghost of the Crump Theater, because there's all kinds of interesting history there, lots of research. And I think people that might be fascinated with the Crump and its weird history will get a big kick out of it. 
Okay, so it sounds like you have done a lot of historical research yourself. Uh, yeah, and people that help me and people that I work with and uh, have, have definitely helped contribute to, uh, you know, bringing the project together. So, I, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty monstrous post. It's pretty, pretty hefty. There's a lot of stuff on there. Okay. All right. So we'll check that out on your website. So you have done some investigations there. Mm-hmm. And give us one of the most dramatic takeaways that you've had or dramatic experiences that you've had there. Well, I tell you, the, probably the one that sent me down the deepest rabbit hole for as far as like the blog post that I have now is once I discovered that the uh, Crump Theater was actually built on the backside of an existing building that was there called uh, Keith's Arcade, which that section of the Crump, which is the front half, is over 150 years old. And it was built by this man called, his name was Colonel Keith. And uh, when I first went and investigated the Crump and I recorded a electronic voice or an EVP uh, that said, I hate Colonel Keith. Uh, that kind of clued me in, like, I need to check out who this man is. And I started doing deep dives at that point and just found out all kinds of fascinating and craziness concerning like Keith's Arcade and, and the history of that section of the building. So as far as my personal research goes, I've not even tapped into the opera house yet. I've been so focused on just Keith's Arcade. That's where I'm at right now with my research, especially once I found out that there used to be a the Indus Infirmary in this building. And the Infirmary claimed to uh, have been able to cure every chronic illness of like the mind, the eye, the ear, the knee, the scrotum, you name it. <laughs> no joke. And okay. they especially cured cancer. Oh, well, good for them. Yes. So <laughs> so we're, we're talking about late Victorian era times, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when we hear the word arcade, maybe we're thinking asteroids and Pac-Man, but this it, is going it back. It wasn't that cool. Yeah, this is going back late 1800s where you could go to the arcade and get cancer cured. Yeah, exactly. And they Amazing. had, uh, there were apartments in this building. I, I think they called buildings arcades that had some sort of like arch quality to them. I think that's why it was called an arcade at that point. Okay. Yeah. So you just think about the different, you know, energies and people and, yeah. and, and that pass through those halls. I've just found some just fascinating things about that era. Well, it, it sounds like you have really just scratched the surface Yes. On what you can do there. I feel like I still have a lot of work to do there. Okay. Well, with all the rehab going on in the building, uh, plus all the paranormal tours, it sounds like a really exciting time to be around the theater. Yeah, absolutely. And just in the past year that I've been associated and when, uh, working actively with the Crump to see the differences they've already made, uh, because the current project manager, I think she got the key to the place in like 2018, 2019, and the place was literally like falling in. Mm-hmm. And now that it's able to uh, be reopened, and I think right now the capacity is a little over 300 people that they can they can legally have in the structure, uh, it's just going to keep growing and getting yeah. bigger and better. And they have so many fun things planned for the community. So that's what's most important. Well, that that sounds fantastic. I'm glad to hear that for the theater. Glad to hear that you're going to have some paranormal tours going on there. And uh, again, we'll just direct everybody to the Crump social media pages as well as your website, paraholics.com. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep. Welcome to It's About Time. 
Please join us for a trip to a familiar Midwestern suburb where the lawns are manicured, the mall is open, and there's something ticking in the basement. Well, Chuck, I've about got your project wrapped up. Oh, man. Thanks, Tom. I don't know what I'd do without you. Well, I know. You wouldn't have all this stuff fixed up around your house. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I'd still have holes in my roof, front steps would be caved in, and, well, that that one thing wouldn't, you know. I know, I know. I'm sworn, sworn to, to secrecy. Sworn to secrecy, yeah. That's right. Like, double top secret, my friend. <laughs> Just like that one time in Hey, fellas. Oh, hey, Hondo. What's hey, happening? Hondo, what's up? Hey, what brings you here, man? Well, I was taking a break from changing out the water and all my plants. Saw Tom's truck over there. Thought I'd see what kind of trouble you two were stirring up. Trouble? Nah, I'm just finishing up some building projects for Chuck here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tom's a real lifesaver. He's fixed some stuff up for me just in time. Nice. Well, look, I need to head over to the mall. Got to pick up some photos from Olin Mills. You know, got to get over there before they close. You guys want to go along? Get a slice of Luca pizza. Mmm, Hondo, I don't know if we have time for that right now. <laughs> oh, well, excuse me. I mean, I realize you're busy and everything. Hey, I need to finish up this project, so you guys bring me back a slice if you go. Yeah, Tom's on the clock. Hey, time waits for no one, guys. Okay, what's with all the time commentary? Seems like you two are up to something. Oh, it, it's nothing, really. Tom's just been putting in a lot of hours over here. We're both getting a little slap-happy. Mm-hmm, well... Speaking of hours, I don't want to be late to Olin Mills. Do you know what time it is? Well, uh, that all depends, Hondo. Relative to what? Relative to, like, seriously, what time is it? Well, since the dawn of creation, I'd say about halfway. But what? Or since the start of civilization, probably closer to the end. Okay, look, I'm looking for something like the big hand is pointing to the nine... And the little hand's pointing to the two. Yeah, it's all relative, my friend. We're on a watery blue orb, hurtling through the inky blackness on the way from point A to an unknown point B at an unspecified point in the future. There's your time for you. Right, well, <clears throat> Chuck, that's, uh, that's, that's beautifully poetic and everything, but at the same time distinctly not helpful. Well, you know what would be helpful? What? A time machine. Finally, yes. We can agree on something. Yes, the time machine. So maybe I can go back to yesterday, write myself a note to avoid this conversation. Uh, I've, I've got one. You got one what? A note to avoid this chap? No, no, a time machine. I've got one. Right, okay. Sure you do, pal. I've got one too. Keep it right next to my cold fission reactor. Ooh, I always wanted one of those. Uh, hey, I wonder if Tom could build me one. Yeah, yeah. You should come over. It's it's really nice. You, you know, it's all about thinking multidimensionally, Hondo. Humans were so trapped in this third dimension perception. But there's a lot more out there, like the fourth dimension. Time. Yeah, well, don't forget the fifth dimension. Seriously, man. Look at this. The first dimension, I can go right and I can go left. Much as I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I the see. first dimension. See? Okay. That's great. And then the second dimension, I can run forward and I can run backward. And then I can run forward again. You clearly put a lot of thought into this, Chuck. Yeah. Don't let me interrupt. Please yeah. go on. And then the third dimension, that gets harder. That's up and down. So you jump up and down. That's the third dimension. Jump up and as much as you want. And sometimes it's easier to climb up on stuff rather than jumping. But 
you get the idea. The up and down part's the third dimension. Yeah, it's making all the sense in the world, pal. Yeah, it's the fourth dimension that's tricky. Oh, is it? Yeah, really tricky. And that's where the time machine comes in. My guess is that's fourth dimension thing. That's probably where all the greats got caught up. You know, Einstein, H.G. Wells, Marty McFly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Honda, I'm glad you're catching on. Wow. This this is important stuff. So, do you want to see it? Do I want to see what? The time machine. Oh, <laughs> oh, you were serious? Yeah, come on. I keep it down in the basement. Well, of course you do. Bleed on. Yeah, right down here, man. I don't know why things are always in the basement. Or a broom closet. Or a coffin. You know, last time we went to the basement? Anyway, what, what could possibly go wrong? Hey, 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 where are you fellas going? Well, uh, Tom, we're going down to the, the, you know. Wait a darn second, fella. You told me this was double top secret. You know, about the... Uh, it, it's okay, Tom. Honda's one of us. Well, sure, he seems to be, but how can we know for sure? Hey, guys, if, if this is part of your cult initiation or something, truly, I'm, I'm happy not to go to the basement and see whatever kind of contraption or rituals you got going on down there. It's okay. No, no, come on, Hondo. It's really okay. You're really going to like this. Come on, fellas, let's go. You remember the last time this had me go down that basement? Boy, everybody has trust issues I don't know why I keep following him everywhere. We need some therapy. So much for secrets. Okay, guys, here she is. My time machine. My precious. Your precious. My project. Wow, impressive. Would you look at that? Well, it's got more lights on it than a National Lampoon Christmas tree. Yeah, I like that effect, too. Thanks, that was my idea. It makes the quantum entanglements look more impressive and festive. You got me there. Chuck, hit the switch. Got it. Dear Lord, you you, you two built this? Well, Tom built it. Would, would it take like a month? Yeah, last weekend. That's two tons of blue steel right there, buddy. This takes up This takes up almost all the space in the basement. You boys have been busy. Well, Tom's been busy. I assume you got all the proper permits for this kind of construction, right? Yep. Oh heck no. <laughs> so what? Would you build a reactor, a particle accelerator, an anti-gravity field or something? I mean, what's powering this thing? Oh, it's just standard house currents all it takes. It's really quite efficient. No flux capacitors required with my design. Oh, and uh, potato chips. And bourbon. Bourbon? I don't get it. Oh, you will, Hondo. Okay, it looks brilliant. I'm in. Okay, where can we go? Hondo, we can go right here. I think you mean, when can we go? Ah, yes. Okay, well, when can we go and to when can we go? Well, we can go anytime you like, but our destination, it can only be in the future. We can't go to the past. Well, 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 that's dumb. I want to go back and relive some of those, you know, good old days, like the first day Star Wars was at the theaters, right? Mm, oh, man. Yeah. We could get a Coke before they messed up the recipe. Yeah. Or, well, I, I thought so, too, but Tom said... That's too many quantum entanglements, man. And think about it. If you met yourself in the past... You'd actually cause a ripple in time that would utterly change everything in the world going forward. We can't have that. What if you met yourself and happened to mention the winning Powerball numbers? Tom, I can't even begin to fathom that problem. In fact, I'm putting Powerball on my list. All right, fathom. There you go in the third dimension again. Try to keep up, man. 
The problem is, it's like jerking the steering wheel on the universe so hard that the time continuum leaves the road and heads off in some other direction. If you took future knowledge to the past, well, with that kind of knowledge, we might have to kill you to keep the universe glued together. Yeah, it's easier just to avoid murder and the end of the universe by going forward only. Wow. Uh, clearly, you two have considered every possibility. Yeah, yeah, here. Come on in. Come on. There's room for all of us in here. Well, this is unexpected. What, you don't like the aesthetic? Well, I mean, yeah, but when was the last time you saw a time machine with mid-century furnishings? I mean, a console TV? Look at this paneling. That's all quarter-sawn oak from right here in Brown County. Yeah, and a sweet collection of vintage vinyl over there in the corner. Don't forget that. Yeah, but what about all the time gizmos and telemetry devices? No, 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 no. Everything we need is in here, trust me. So go ahead, have a seat in the lounger there and, and get comfortable. All right. I'll get everything set up for our trip. Oh, oh, this is nice. Oh, well, it's definitely comfortable. Okay, well, do I need to strap in? No, 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 it's a gentle trip. You'll like it. Some tea for you? What? Um, okay, thanks. Yeah, so when do you want to go? Well, now. Okay, look, it's now already. No, to when do you want to go? Ah, okay, yep, I got it. Well, let's not get too crazy. How about about an hour from now? Just, just kind of ease into it. Yeah, perfect. That's what I was thinking, too. Let me get the gear ready. And here you go. Chuck? Mm. This is a kitchen timer. Mm. Yeah. And a deck of cards, yes. Would you like to play rummy or something else? Maybe poker, Texas Hold'em, or maybe I can grab some of the books down for you out of the library. Would that be better? Chuck? Mm. What's a kitchen timer have to do with this? Now we set that for 60 minutes. Wait, what? But we're traveling an hour ahead. Yeah, exactly. And the timer, it lets us know when we get there. This isn't a time machine. Yes, it is. It's just not a very fast one. More tea? No, no, no. Thank thank you, Tom. No. Wait a minute. Guys, this is just a waiting room. Uh, here, Hondo. Have an old-fashioned. I think you need a drink. Yes, I do. Thank you. Okay. Now, pay attention. Okay. We're all heading to the future, whether we like it or not. So why not do it in comfort with some friends? Let's spend the next 60 minutes traveling an hour into the future and listen to some good music, play some cards, maybe read a book. It's really endless what we can do. I've got cigars. See, yeah, the, the point is, this time machine transports us to now while we move to the later. And who better to do that with than some good pals? Well, you got me. You know, I'm starting to see the logic in this. You have some more chips? Yeah, yeah, right here. You know, guys, this time travel thing can be a little disorienting, I think. I may need to lie down. Get another drink. After numerous tests, I've found that some Dave Brubeck on vinyl is the perfect antidote for time sickness. Nice. Perfect. And Tom, maybe uh, maybe you can mix me up another old-fashioned. I, I think that'll help a lot. Coming right up. See, Hondo, you're getting the hang of this already. There you go. This is great, guys. Maybe we can time travel again next week? How about Tuesday? Oh, can't Tuesday. 
that's, that's, that's start club night. Right, right. Wednesday, then. Wednesday sounds great. I'll be here. Perfect. You've been listening to It's About Time. Written and produced by Chuck Wills with cast members Hondo Thompson playing the part of Hondo, Chuck Wills playing the part of Chuck, and Tom Preston as Tom. I lived in the Browns' old house out on Owl Creek Road for about nine years. I I moved in and and had no idea that there was any history behind the place whatsoever until funny things started happening. And uh, I thought my neighbors were crazy. I thought they were shooting guns off in the middle of the night and screaming and doing all kinds of stuff. And when I confronted them about that, I found out that they actually weren't doing that at all, that there were these sounds and things going on around the house. And uh, my neighbor said, oh, you, you don't know about the house, do you? And I said, uh, no. And that's when, uh, when she told us the story. So uh, apparently back in 1930, I believe it was, uh, there was a family living there. And one afternoon, the son came in and uh, they had a large farm. I should say that first, a large farm, big apple orchard out there on Owl Creek Road. And um, there were several sisters that had moved away, and there was just the one son left living at home. And the story goes that the son came in one afternoon and shot both of his parents, put their bodies in the basement, and set the house on fire, and took off with all the family's money, which was right around when the stock market had crashed, and they had a lot of money, and they had it buried out in the woods. So when the law came, they found two charred bodies in the basement and the sun was nowhere to be found and there were all of these holes that had been dug up out in the woods. So the sisters came home not believing that their brother was capable of doing something like that and uh, decided to have the bodies exhumed that had been buried, the bodies of their parents. And when they exhumed these bodies they found out that they were actually the bodies of two men. So it was actually their brother and their father The mother, her body, was never found, but it's believed that she's buried out there in the woods back there on Owl Creek somewhere. So this unsolved murder mystery happened right in this house, and the the original house burned to the ground, but the old foundation in the basement was still there intact, and that's where I had my woodworking shop. So right there in that basement on that floor where those bodies were found is where I would stand and run my power tools not being able to hear anything but power tools, wondering what was going on behind me. Now, there were lots of things that happened in that basement. There were lots of things that happened in different places of the house. I could tell stories enough to fill a book about really weird things that would happen. And then I would go around trying to make them happen again just to prove that it wasn't a ghost, that it could have just happened. But there was no way. There was no earthly way that some of the things that happened to me in that house could could be reenacted without the presence of a ghost or something. So things continued to happen, screaming and scratching on the ceilings every night, and women crying, and all sorts of things. I always watch these movies and I think, why don't these people leave this house? I always thought people were crazy for staying in haunted houses, and I'm telling you, you just, you just don't, it doesn't occur to you to leave. I became really inquisitive, I became really interested in the history behind the house, what was going on, and, and what we found out, the woman that I was living with and I, found out that if we neglected part of the house, things would start happening there. 
So like in the front yard, if uh, there were a lot of sticks and limbs and stuff down, things would start happening in that area. So we'd go out and we'd pick up and we'd clean up and we'd say, I'm sorry, we'll do a better job next time. And things would clear up. So these, these, this presence, these uh, that seemed to be three different entities, became part of the family. That's the best way I can describe it. One night, I was in bed, sound asleep, and I woke up crying, sobbing out of control. And it didn't sound like me crying. You know how you have your own cry sound. Didn't sound like me crying. And I kept, I would, I would try to close my eyes and go back to sleep. But every time I closed my eyes, I would see the image of this charred body with a beam across his chest and a pair of overalls on in the basement. Just like a photograph just kept coming back to me. Couldn't sleep that night. Kept trying. Couldn't get that image out of my head. The very next day, a car pulls up, sits there on the road and staring at the house. And they go across the street and they're talking to my neighbors. And then they eventually leave. You know, it's Brown County. I'm nosy. I'm looking out my windows. What's going on? My neighbor comes across the street and she says, that's one of the last living family members of the Brown family. And they just came by to see the house. And we were talking and she said, you know, they never really knew who those two bodies were in the basement, except they knew for a fact it was Mr. Brown because they found Mr. Brown laying in the basement with his bib overalls on and a beam across his chest. So I'm no longer a skeptic. I'm a believer. And that's, that's my story about living out on Owl Creek Road for nine years. Sell everything you own. 
farm for 40 bodies what they say but whose headless body did they find in the ashes did Bill Gunners get away As we enter autumn and the jack-o'-lanterns begin to come out, the Brown County Hour likes to think of things that go bump in the night, or in tonight's case, things that may go bump in the woods. This is Chuck Wills along with Jim Lemon. Hi, Jim. Hey, guys. And we have the pleasure of speaking with Chris McDaniel, who is a paranormal researcher specializing in an array of fields, including general paranormal, UFOs, and cryptids, or what you may call Bigfoot. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. South Central Indiana is full of stories of otherworldly experiences, but I'd like to first talk about Bigfoot since Brown County has a history of sightings and, and has all you know, the Bigfoot habitat. This may be a new subject for our audience. If you could give us a little background on yourself and what you do relating to the elusive Sasquatch. I'm an author of two books. I've been featured on Monsters and Mysteries of America on the Discovery Channel. I, like you said, I'm a paranormal researcher, which paranormal research is a wide variety of different topics, whether it's hauntings, cryptid creatures, uh, UFOs. So with the cryptid creatures, people uh, would send me emails and tell me about their encounters. And I would pretty much go out and take a look and see what I can find. So what got you into this research originally? Back in 1984, me and my friends had heard a legend about a ghost sighting in Step Cemetery. So we thought we'd go out there and check it out. And lo and behold, things started happening. And uh, we seen an actual apparition of a lady, just like the legend says. Uh, from that point on, it got a little crazy and out of hand to where one of the individuals in the group started dabbling, uh, making like pentagrams in the gravel. With our own eyes, we watched this person fall down to the ground and their body just slid across the ground by itself, as if somebody had a hold of their shoulders and was dragging them off into the woods. Well, to make a long story short, we got him in the car, got him out of there, and it, it terrorized us enough that... We had all these questions in our head, you know, how is this possible? But we didn't want to get involved with the uh, hauntings anymore. But we wanted to talk to eyewitnesses that had similar, maybe an encounter of some type, sure. where I kind of turned toward cryptid investigations and so forth. And I also have a degree in wildlife uh, management. 
which steered me toward wildlife, Bigfoot, you know, cryptid animals that haven't been discovered yet. Anything that has to do with wildlife or cryptid creatures, you have my attention. Okay. Well, from my own experience, I'm sure it's much safer to go that direction because it's unlikely Bigfoot is going to show up at midnight in your basement. Right. Step Cemetery, is that near Morgan Monroe State Forest? Yes, that, that's in the Morgan Monroe State Forest. And uh, actually, there's been reports of Bigfoot seen near Step Cemetery. Give me a little bit of background on some of the stories that you have heard or maybe things that you've investigated kind of around that area. That's where a lot of reports that I, I get come from. There's a case I call the, the case of the dead coyote. And this is right on the Bartholomew and Brown County line. This is probably about four years ago. Some people were out at their bonfire and they noticed a tall figure. They couldn't make out any features, but it was standing behind a tree and kept stepping out, peeking at them. And uh, they said there was an eerie feeling about this. You know, even in the air, they said, you could just feel that something eerie was going on. So they contacted me and I went out to their house, looked around the area where the tree was. I, I didn't see anything, but I went on down the road and uh, less than a quarter of a mile is the power line clearings. Yeah. And I thought I'd walk this uh, power line clearings because in most cases, 95 times out of 100, I can ask an eyewitness how far is the power line clearings, and it's always less than a quarter of a mile. Amazing. Interesting. Amazing. Yeah. The, the theory is people believe that they may use this like a highway. Yeah. It's easier to travel in an open clearing than it is to travel through a, a thick wooded area. Sure. Yeah. The underbrush, et cetera. Yeah. I went ahead and I started walking the power line clearing, and it was probably about 100 yards off the road, the dirt road, that I'd found a dead coyote. And I have pictures of this coyote. I, I even have a video of it. The coyote had a footprint on it, a muddy footprint, and it was huge. Wow. This coyote, you know, he is dead. And he felt squishy. So I'm looking around the area, and lo and behold, I find a footprint in the mud uh, that has toes, and I'm wondering who in the world would have been out here barefooted. <laughs> so I went ahead and I, I collected the coyote, took pictures of the footprint. I took it to a veterinarian's office and I asked them if they would do a neocropsy on it and tell right. me what they think the coyote may have died from. I took video and this is on YouTube. So you can actually watch the whole video of them doing the neocropsy of the coyote. The best that they can determine is that it was blunt force to the ribs. And I asked them if a car had hit that coyote, would that coyote be able to travel? And they said it was instant death. Wow. Whatever hit this coyote was instant death. What's strange is they found a piece of metal inside the coyote. And they had no idea what this was. I, I went ahead and I collected the, the piece of metal and I wrapped it up and I kept it in a Ziploc bag. Now, I know some people, the, the head people of MUFON here in Indiana chapter, and uh, they wanted me to pretty much get rid of this little piece of metal because they were concerned. They get a lot of reports of UFOs and Bigfoot sightings together, and they were concerned that it might be some type of a, a tracer or something. You know, <laughs> I don't get into all that. <laughs> Well, honestly, that crossed my mind. Oh, yeah. I, I have I've heard people talk about the UFO Bigfoot connection. Mm -hmm. And honestly, 
I, I thought they were kidding. I thought it was, I mean, how outlandish is that to think that yeah, Bigfoot that and UFOs would be connected? So what became of that piece of metal? You know, I have no idea. I put it in okay. a drawer and I've not been able to find it for about a year or so. That's a mystery in itself then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're saying that you've been able to identify a lot of Bigfoot sightings within a, sh a short distance of the power line corridors. Right. If there's a little bit of predictability to that, then why can't you set up trail cams? Why haven't there been more great pictures of Sasquatch? Usually when I do uh, go to a location, I'll set up trail cams along the power lines and I've never been able to catch anything. A lot of people will ask, you know, that that's the big thing about this mystery is why can't we get solid proof and evidence that this creature exists? There's a lot of theories out there, and one theory does go toward are they kind of a paranormal creature? Instead of being a uh, undiscovered animal. Where do you fall on that? I believe people are seeing something. I have hundreds of eyewitnesses. I've watched eyewitnesses relate to me what they experienced. And as they relate to it, it's like they're reliving it. And they break down crying. Okay. I mean, when you see a person break down crying with raw emotions, telling a stranger their story, I mean, that, that kind of hits you. You know, it's like this person's not making this up. They, they've seen yeah. something. They're trying to reason with it, but they don't know how. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so... I believe that they're seeing something, but why can't we get the evidence? One of my uh, most favorite stories, I didn't actually talk to the individual. This is the story that was passed down from a park ranger to an individual that I knew that also did Bigfoot research. And uh, it's got a dark side to it, but it's also kind of uh, enlightening as well. Okay. That uh, This individual, this is around uh, Brown County, I think, near Story, Indiana. Uh, okay. So right. this individual, their kids had had a female cat and she just kept, kept having litter after litter after litter. And uh, this guy was getting tired of all these kittens trying to find homes for the kittens. So this last litter that she had had, he took like, I think maybe a couple of the kittens that they couldn't find homes for. But that when his kids were at school, he picked up the kittens and he went out into the woods with them. He was going to take care of the kittens himself. Out in the, the middle of the woods, he found a place where there was a big rock. He set the kittens down, and he picked up the big rock. And as he's lifting the rock, he looks up, and there's this big, hairy, bipedal creature, Bigfoot, standing in front of him. Bigfoot steps up to him, pushes him down. The guy falls down. The guy wets himself in the process. And what's really funny is... According to this report, that Bigfoot starts scolding him, pointing his finger, and was grunting and making all kinds of noises, going ur, 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 like a language to him, picked up the kittens, Bigfoot picks up the kittens, and took off walking away. <laughs> so if, if there's no way to that story, that's the best Bigfoot story I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I got scolded by a Bigfoot is a classic <laughs> magazine uh, title, I think. Oh my gosh. So Bigfoot, Bigfoot has a moral compass. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. That is incredible.
Well, some people can't see the forest for the trees now, can they? They call them lies, but there's legends, all right, but they ain't no lies. But I tell you what, there's things what go on back there. People talk about it, and people like yourself, you think it's all just stories, but it ain't no story. You ever hear a Hattie? Old swamp witch live back in there? Well, I'll tell you, old Blackwater Hattie, she lived back in that swamp. Uh-huh. Back where them strange green reptiles crawl. Back in there, the snakes hang thick from them cypress trees. They're like sausage from a smokehouse wall. You know that swamp's alive, boy. It's got a thousand eyes, and you can bet all of them are gonna be looking at you. So you stay off that track back to Hattie Shack, back in that black bayou. You hear me? I never lied to you yet, as far as you know. Way up the road from Hattie Shack, there lies the sleepy little Okeechobee town. And round there just talking about the Swamp Witch Hattie, that was enough to lock them in when the sun goes down. There was legends of what she done, and there's rumors of what she'd do. And all that kept the folks off the track. A Hattie Shack, back in that black bayou. I don't know what you think you're doing going back there. One day in that town, one day brought the rain, and that rain, it just stayed on. Till that swamp water overflowed. The skeeters and the fever grabbed the town like a fist. Yeah. Old Doc Jackson, he was the first to go. Some say the plague was brought by Hattie. There was talk of a hanging, too. But all that talk, it just got shackled by the howls and the cackles and the bowels of that big black bayou. <laughs> well, they didn't do nothing. But early one morn, between dark and dawn, when the shadows filled the sky, there came an unseen caller on that town where all that hope run dry. In the square there was found a big black round with a vat full of gargling brew. And they's whispered sounds when them folks gathered around, right? They's whispering, that came from the black bayou. Well, there ain't much pride when you're trapped inside a slowly sinking ship. So they scooped up that liquid, that deep and green. <laughs> the whole town took a sip. But I'll tell you what, fever went away, and the very next day the skies again were blue. Folks started saying, let's thank old Hattie for saving our town. You believe that? <laughs> they said, we're gonna fetch her from that black bayou. Well, they, they weren't gonna go back there at all. Now they're gonna go fetch her. It's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Well, here's what happened, so, so so a party of 10 of the town's best men, you can imagine who they were, well, they headed in for old Hattie's shack. They said, swamp wind magic is useful and good. I guess they figured they gonna bring old Hattie back. Lord, I don't know what they was thinking. Oh, they never found old Hattie. Hell, they never even found the shack. And they never made that trip back in parchment note was all they found. It was tacked on the stump. All it says was, don't you come looking again. That's the truth. That's the story of it.
Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pocket. You don't know what's inside. Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets. You don't know what's hiding inside. My Frankenstein. Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets. You don't know what's in there. Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets. Where it's been, you don't know. About what's in here. Hi, everybody. This is Frank Jones. Today, I'll be reading the story of Taylor Poe, a true Brown County legend. It was originally told by Grover Brown, who served as an educator in Brown County for some 51 years. It was originally told to him by John Cox of Morgantown. And it's a story of an old loner who lives deep in the woods of Tennessee, who experiences a supernatural event by a creature called Taylipole. Starts like this. A long time ago, way down in the deep woods of Tennessee, a man lived all by himself. This man's house had just one room, and that was his parlor, living room, bedroom, dining room, and kitchen, too. In one end of this log cabin was a big open fireplace where the man cooked and ate his meals. One night he was sitting before the fire half asleep when the most curious of animals crept in through the half open door. 
and it had a great long tail. Awakening, the man reached over for his hatchet and whacked the varmint's tail right off first lick. That varmint ran out into the night screaming. And the man, kind of fool-like, cooked and ate the tail. He lived by himself and was hurting for food. He went to bed, but he had not been asleep very long until he was awakened. And he heard something right outside the cabin wall. It sounded as if it was trying to get in. He listened. He heard it scratch, scratch, and scratch again. Then he heard it wail. Taily pole, All I want's me taily pole. Now this man had three dogs. One dog was named Inno. The other dog was named Uno. And the third dog was named Company Cocalico. Quite a long name. This man called his dogs. He said they came billing out from under the, the house and chased the varmint way down into the woods. Now the man went back to sleep. But not about midnight, he was awakened again. He listened. He heard something outside the cabin wall. Same as before, scratching like it was trying to get in. He heard it scratch, scratch, scratch again, and he heard it say, Taily-poe, Taily-poe, all I want's my Taily-poe. Again, this man called his dogs. This time, they came rushing around the corner of the house, and they caught up with this varmint, and they tore down the fence trying to kill it. And this time, they chased it way down into the woods, down past the woods and into the big swamp. Now, this took quite a while, and the man just went back to sleep. Away long after midnight, he was awakened again. He listened, and off in the distance, he could hear something saying, Taily po, you know I know, all I want's me taily po. Again, this man called his dogs because he was frightened. But this time they failed to come. That varmint had either killed or lost them down in the big swamp. The man went back to sleep. The next time he woke up, it was almost time for the break of day. He thought he heard something in the room and he listened. Right down by the foot of his bed, he heard something scratching and scratching peered out from under the covers and pretty soon he saw two sharp pointed ears coming slowly up over the foot of the bed. Then he saw two fiery red eyes and this varmint crawled up over the foot of the bed. He could feel the sharp claws through the bedclothes. It crept right upon his chest. He could feel its hot breath in his face. It looked at him right dead in the eye and said, Taily-po, Taily-po, you know, I know all I want's me Taily-po. This man was frightened, just as you or I would be. He was scared so badly, he could not open his mouth for a long time. And then he just yelled, I haven't got your Taily-po. 
And then the critter said, yes, you has. And it scratched him all over to pieces. And some folks say it got its taily pole. Now there's nothing left of this old cabin way down in the big woods of Tennessee except for an old stone chimney. But when the moon shines brightly and the wind blows down the valley, you can hear something say, Taily and then die away. We have back with us Matthew Jackson, who you may remember from the Halloween special of 2019, talking about all things paranormal. Uh, welcome back to the show, Matthew. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, this is Chuck Wills, and uh, Dave is with us. Hi there. Glad to be aboard. So, uh, Matthew, since uh, Halloween is back upon us, we wanted to have you back because we've heard rumor that you have a skeleton in your closet, literally. Literally, I do. I actually have a human skeleton. Well, not everybody can say that. <laughs> well, everyone that's alive technically can. You can say you have one, but may not be in a possession. <laughs> yeah. You have a real human skeleton. It sounds like there's a story about how you came to have this. Can you kind of give us the background? Yeah, I can. It actually starts back about 11 years ago. I was working in a place downtown Columbus that is a historic building on Washington Street on the sixth block. And it seems like anyone who ever spent any time actually working in that building had their own little ghost story, you know, talking about the, the building being haunted and so forth. And so in my discussions of other people who worked in the building and other businesses, our next door neighbor, I happened to ask him if his employees or if he ever had any experiences of anything strange happening in the building. And he came back with, well, if you saw what was upstairs of MySpace, you would definitely uh, wouldn't be surprised that odd things may occur. He basically went on to say that his half of the building is owned by a very old uh, secret society. It's, it's a secret society, one of those fraternal lodges that at one time they were pretty prominent, but they've kind of uh, faded away. They're called the Knights of Pythias. And they're kind of like, you know, the Masons or the Odd Fellows. And anyway, he basically went on to say that even though the National Charter still owned his half of the building and he paid his rent to them, that all the local members had basically gotten too old to make the climb up the staircase. And uh, he hadn't seen anyone around there for years. And he asked me if I wanted to go upstairs and check it out. And of course, me being the fool that I am, I took the key and went up there and Lo and behold, this room that I came across was set up kind of like a temple. There was like a, a circle of chairs and there was an altar and like a throne, swords, beds of nails, you name it. And also in the middle of all this was a casket with a real articulated human skeleton that they used as part of their rituals. So I've known that the skeleton was up there for about 11 years and recently, uh, the guy who let me up there, he bought the building. He reached out. He found a group of Pythias that still meet up in the state of Indiana. And he contacted them to see if they wanted to come down and maybe take some of those items with them. And a few guys did. They came. They loaded a few things up. But they left the skeleton. 
And you would think as a secret society, if there was ever a secret that you might want to keep close to your, your yourself, that would be the fact that you used uh, human skeletons in your rituals. But they said that they no longer use stuff like that and they left it there. He really didn't know what to do with it. And me just kind of being like a you know resident weirdo. I don't know if I'm uh, flattered that he thought of me or if I should take it as an insult, but I was given the opportunity to actually a- acquire the skeleton. Amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> so I've got two questions. Yeah. Uh, one, how does a group like them get a skeleton to begin with? And then, of course, two, what are you going to do with a skeleton, you know, beyond the cool factor of having your own skeleton? <laughs> that That's the funny part. Ethically, after doing research into how these groups would have acquired uh, a human skeleton like this, uh, it, no matter how you look at it, it's fairly disturbing. Um, I estimate that that temple or lodge or whatever they want to call it had probably been up in that space at least since 1907. And back then, it was relatively easy to acquire human remains. There were actually catalogs where you could just get on and and order these things. And they would provide skeletons to, um, you know, medical people, to, you know, classrooms, and also to these fraternal lodges. But the way that they got the skeletons, uh, most of the time, usually involved poor people who died and were left unclaimed. There's also a lot of grave robbing that went on back then. And so it was really kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around that this was somebody's loved one. This was somebody's child who ultimately became a prop um, with or without consent (laughs) for, uh, you know, a strange group of people who, for whatever meaning they had behind their rituals, which is still kind of up in the air, uh, would use that just for, you know, almost their entertainment. So uh, really left me, leaves me with kind of an uncomfortable feeling uh, about the whole, the whole scenario. You know, there's not a real positive way of looking at it. But uh, my, my plan as of right now is I've been talking to the University of Indianapolis, one of the professors up there that run the forensics department. And uh, she's basically offered if I would donate the skeleton to the school that they would curate it for me and then do a full workup study on it to possibly, uh, they, they doubt that, that there's any viable DNA that would allow them to maybe try to see who this person was or find its descendants. But they're confident they could determine the age, the race, the sex, things like that. And, and there might be a clue there as far as like, how um, maybe the person died. There might be some telltale sign there. So that's basically where everything's at at the moment. Boy, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're going to be looking for knife cuts on the bones or, um, uh, you know, burn marks or whatever. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. this skeleton was never made into the soup. um, Right. But they did something. I mean, you know, um, the illustrations on your website showed uh, swords and some kind of decorative situation that maybe invoked in spirits or who knows what they were doing, right? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it had to do with some hazing type rituals as far as they would lead like new members in as part of their almost like swearing in. They would have them come in blindfolded and have them kneel in front of the coffin and hold on to the bones and repeat all these oaths that would basically you know, they were swearing their, their secrecy, uh, you know, the, or the group secrets until uh, their death, until their body would fill one of those boxes, so to speak. And, you know, basically 
you're going to take the the group secrets to their grave. And if there's any more like, you know, arcane or dark secrets that the group really uh, held on to that I, I've not figured out yet. Uh, and, and, and it was very important to the Pythias to not be atheist. Right. I just watched your uh, video. And uh-huh. I'm really curious about the device you were using to try to interface with the uh, uh, dearly departed, shall we say? What was the name of that device? Uh, it, it is a, it's called a reverse speech ghost box, which in, oh. in the whole uh, pseudoscience of ITC, which is instrumental transcommunication, where people have rigged basically radios and electronic devices to try and, you know, see if anything would manipulate it to actually provide any type of communication. I was just curious by taking a device like that up there while the skeleton was still in the lodge if any messages might come across that would give me any clues as to the skeleton itself or maybe its use. Or, you know, a lot of people theorize that things like that might have attachments to them or or be a haunted object themselves. So I was just kind of testing the waters out of curiosity to see if there might be anything there that would, uh, you know, kind of lead me down that path, you know? Well, I find it interesting that uh, from the sound of the communications you were getting, uh, I mean, my first impression is most of the uh, spirits were not all that happy you were there. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, but at, at how uh, how profane their language was. Yeah, that's something that seems to be fairly common with some of the experiments that I've uh, I've, I've I've done. And you know, there's just really the the unfortunate thing about it. There's really no way to set parameters on an experiment like that that basically says, hey, you're in this location, so you're only going to possibly communicate with anything associated with that area. Uh, I think it's much like, uh, you know, somebody experimenting with an Ouija board. Uh, You just really have no controls over who or what you may or may not be speaking to. So uh, there's, that's why it's just kind of open as far as like, it's not hardcore evidence of anything conclusive. But it's just interesting when you do get any anything that kind of uh, applies to the the history or the location of where you're at. Uh, just like the one time where it definitely said that I was, you know, in a Pythias temple. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, that was probably like like one of the more uh, relevant captures from that video. Well, and the word Pythias is not likely to be bleeding out of your FM band somewhere. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so it kind of seemed like maybe this skeleton is named Patrick. Was that your take as well? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I kind of wondered that, but I, I've I've been getting the name Patrick on a pretty regular basis uh, the past few times that I've been out doing any type of experiments like that. So uh, I, I don't know. It's it's possible. It definitely told me I could call it Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they said a lot of things. Uh, some of which were not very nice. And uh, yeah of them told you to get out yeah yeah mm-hmm. and like i said you know who's to say who i was talking to at that moment uh I, I always like to think that if i was in their situation uh i would i would be i'd wreck all kinds of havoc um on a ghost box or a ouija board i would definitely disrupt some uh you know 16 year olds birthday parties <laughs> <laughs> well, why not yeah <laughs> it's like what are they gonna do kill you Exactly. <laughs> so for our uh, listeners that, that haven't checked it out, uh, all of this is on your website, which is paraholics.com. 
Yeah. The, uh, the posting on that is uh, Bones of the Bones of Secret Societies. That talks about your interest in bones from your childhood on up to finding the skeleton the video that you guys are talking about, and then further information about the building and uh, the fraternal order as well. Yeah. And the interesting thing, too, to find out that that building was built on an old cemetery. I mean, there's just so many layers to that that city block in Columbus that many people are not aware of. So it's it's a, it definitely have a has an interesting history. Okay, just out of curiosity, you have the skeleton and you use it in your house. Yes, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not creepy? Well, I guess if I really thought about it, it, it is kind of creepy, but uh, I, I don't look at him at this point as or her as a, uh, a permanent resident. So I, I, I like to think that this period of time uh, that I'm, I'm just providing a, uh, a path to a, a better resolution for this poor person um, because I, I don't feel like where it was was a good place. And I'm hoping that at least when I'm done with it, it's going to at least pay some better tribute to their, their final resting place. <laughs> yeah. You might even end up making friends with this person. Who knows? Well, you know, <laughs> I need all the friends I can get at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, the bigger question is, does your wife know that the skeleton's there? No. <laughs> uh well, well, parts of it. Parts? Yeah. The head was, um, the, the lodge had been broken into over the years. And I think probably someone got in and tried to take the skull. And uh, it received um, quite a bit of damage. It was broken to about five pieces. So uh, I, I gathered all those up. And I've, I have those stored in a uh, lock case. So, but, but everything's there. So it'll, it'll all get delivered to the uh, university as soon as I make those arrangements. Do you have any guess on how many skeletons like this at various fraternal orders are floating around? Well, uh, just doing a quick internet search, I found all kinds of stories of people inheriting, you know, these buildings and finding these, these skeletons or finding the remains of, of these artifacts, like in somebody's attic and so forth. So there's, there's a long history with these skeletons just kind of turning up and people freaking out and a local law enforcement officer that I was talking to in Bartholomew County, uh, their reaction when I told him this whole thing was just priceless. Uh, (laughs) It definitely raises some eyebrows, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in just the history of that whole process of, of those skeletons um, being acquired and their uses. And you can even trace it back to the, the resurrection men that they called them, the grave robbers in England. I mean, this has been a kind of a strange practice that, you know, not many people know about, especially in early American history. So I'm, I'm wanting to kind of delve into that more and find out which other groups also used uh, human skeletons. I know I'm, I'm pretty sure that the odd fellows did as well. Well, so um, I'm wanting to put together and kind of investigate into this a little bit deeper and see how much uh, information I can gather. Well, it'd be interesting to hear about that. And yeah. Also, uh, when you do find out anything about this skeleton, we'd love to hear back from you. Oh, yeah. I'd love to give you guys an update. That would be great. Well, and yeah. thank you so much for making the, the best possible resolution for yeah. your, your skeletal friend. I think that, you know, in, in the big picture, that's really a wonderful service that you're doing for them. Yeah, it, it, I can't tell you how many times over the past 11 years, it's really bothered me that, that knowing that that skeleton was up there and 
course, my imagination has always led me to the worst on on what it was used for, which you know it may not be as as uh, dark or as spooky as as what I kind of imagine after doing further research into it. But it still is kind of unnerving that that was even an acceptable practice. Um, and it's not to say, obviously, that the Knights of Pythias or the Odd Fellows, you know, did anything illegal in their method of atta- obtaining it. But like I said, just the companies that used to provide these things, um, it's really, really strange. And um, I don't know, I would, I would have a hard time getting up for work every day if I knew that's what, that was my job. That's for sure. Well, it's an incredible story. And I don't know what to say to your wife, but maybe <laughs> you won't even hear this until after it's up at the uh, university. Or Here's the best part about it. When I first told her about the potential of me acquiring this thing, her initial reaction was, you just want it for bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really interesting. Uh, hey, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to our 2023 Halloween special. And thank you to all of our contributors for sharing their stories and songs, as well as to our sponsors, WFHB, Brown County Inn, and Our Brown County Magazine for making this show possible. You can hear more of our broadcasts at browncountyhour.com, on your favorite streaming services, and on WFHB, community-powered public radio.